Prepare your ears for some weird candy. Weird candy. Weird candy. Weird candy. Weird candy. Hey, what's up, my fellow weirdos? Uh, happy Tuesday to you. I uh, hope the butthole of the work week isn't kicking you guys too hard. Um, you know, yet again, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you guys so much for all the love and, you know, all the downloads and, you know, just keep on, uh, keep downloading, keep giving us ratings, you know, uh, help get the word out and maybe we can just grow this little, uh, community of ours, uh, <laughs> you know, have some fun with it, right? Um, you know, make sure you check out the Facebook page, uh, Weird Candy Podcast on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, other than that, fuck it, let's get weird. Personally, I absolutely love going to antique shops, uh, antique shops, flea markets, just anything like that. Uh, there, there's just something about going through all the stuff that, you know, some of it's newer, some of it's older, you know, but every time I find an older object, I feel this inner drive to learn all that I can about whatever the thing is. Like, you know, uh, when was this particular toy made? Uh, how in the hell do they keep this mirror in such amazing, amazing condition for all these years? Is this really an original copy of Moby Dick signed by the author that just so happens to be worth like a billion dollars? Uh, the number of treasures that you can find among the dusty shelves is truly awesome. Uh, every once in a great while, we might actually come across a particular item that, for some strange reason, we absolutely have to have. This would prove to be an irreversible mistake for a woodworking shop owner when he purchased some random items from an estate sale. One of these items was the Divic Box. In 2001, Kevin Manis attended an estate sale in Portland, Oregon. Uh, according to the family hosting the sale, the items had belonged to a 103-year-old woman. The woman had been born in Poland, where she married and was starting a, a family when she was taken to a Nazi concentration camp. Fucking Nazis, man. Limp dick pieces of shit. Oh, look at me. I've got a tiny micro penis. I guess I should go commit some genocide or something now. Aha. Uh -huh. Fucking bastards. Uh, <laughs> the woman lost her parents, brothers, a sister, her husband, two sons, and a daughter. My God, that is fucking horrific. Uh, and she only survived when she, along with a few other prisoners, managed to escape and flee to Spain. Uh, she remained in Spain. Uh, hey, that rhymes. Remained in Spain. Huh. <laughs> uh, until the end of the war, when she gathered up her few belongings. And seriously, like she only owned like an old Jewish wine box, a sewing box, and a steamer trunk. And, and then she immigrated to the uh, good old U.S. of A. Kevin wound up buying the wine box, the sewing box, and some other furniture. As he was leaving, the woman's granddaughter came up to him and commented, Hey, I, I see you bought the Dybbuk box. Confused, Kevin asked, uh, What's a Dybbuk box? The girl told him that her grandmother had always called it that. When she when he asked her what was in, or whenever you know the girl would ask her grandma what was inside, her her grandmother would spit three times through her fingers and said that it contained a dibic or a kesselim, and that under no circumstances was the box to ever be opened. The grandmother had wanted the box to be buried with her, but her request her her request was denied due to the rules aligned with an Orthodox Jewish burial. Uh, so old Kev Kev now he offered to let the girl keep the box. You know, uh, thinking that, oh, maybe this is some kind of heirloom, but the girl got really upset and told him that he had, uh, that he had bought it fair and square and that a deal was a deal. Maybe a bit of a red flag there, Kevo. <laughs> uh, he took the box to his workshop, put it in the basement of his store, and then he left the woman that ran the counter in charge while he went to run some errands. After about a half an hour, Kevin got a call from his salesperson. She was absolutely hysterical. She claimed that someone was in the basement screaming and cussing and that she could also hear glass breaking. 
Now, she also claimed that whoever was in the basement had locked the iron security gate and had blocked the emergency exit, making it impossible for her to get out of the store. Kevin raced back to his shop to find that the gate was, in fact, locked and that the emergency exit had been blocked. He found his saleswoman on the floor in a corner of his office sobbing. I mean, that is fucking terrifying, you know? Anytime, you know, you're, you're faced with one of these, like, insane uh situations you know your instincts are just telling you like get the fuck out get the fuck out and and then this fucking ghost is like nope sorry (laughs) like damn it you bastard Uh, (laughs) uh kevin went down into the basement and was smacked in the face with the smell of cat piss even though he didn't have any pets at all in the store after walking into the space he noticed that all of the light bulbs had been shattered uh, according to our buddy Kevin, uh, there were nine incandescent bulbs busted in, in their sockets, and there was ten four-foot fluorescent bulbs that were shattered on the floor. I mean, the, the, this guy wasn't fucking around when it came to lighting up his basement, you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus. <laughs> I had like 20 fucking light bulbs. Um, anyway, there was only one way in or out of the basement, and he found absolutely nobody in the building. Kevin went upstairs to talk with his employee, but she was gone. Yeah, no shit she was gone. I would have fucking beat feet, too. Fuck that. (laughs) Uh, The lady quit and basically just never returned. That was it. A couple weeks later, Kevin decided that he was going to get to work refinishing the box. When he opened it, he found that the box had a mechanism that when you opened one of the doors, the other door and the little drawer at the bottom would open simultaneously with it. Inside, he found a 1928 wheat penny a 1925 wheat penny, a small lock of blonde hair bound with twine, a small lock of dark hair also bound with twine, a small granite statue engraved with the word shalom, one dried rosebud, a golden wine cup, and a weird black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. Like, that's fucking... What? Like, I mean, totally. I mean, it makes sense. Totally. That shit's not strange at all. I mean, that's almost exactly what I have in in, in my wine cabinet. I don't know about you guys. Uh, he he offered to return the items to the family, but they were like, yeah, get fucked, loser. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's kind of the gist of, uh, you know, how he tells the story, you know. Uh, Kevin decided to not refinish the box after all and opted to just shine it up with a little lemon oil. While doing this, he noticed a Hebrew prayer carved into the back of the box. I mean, this has got to be like the most oblivious motherfucker on the planet. Like, seriously, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh, after all of this, he finally gives the box to his mom. She had stopped by his store. So while she's there, he goes ahead and hey, happy birthday. He claims that he left her alone for no more than five minutes to make a quick call. When one of his workers ran into his office saying that something was wrong with his mother, he found her slumped in a chair, unable to speak with tears running down her cheeks. Turns out that she had had a uh, pretty severe stroke. She did manage to spell out to him that she hated that piece of shit box and basically told him, hey, get fucked, loser. <laughs> All right, fine. She just told him that she hated it and didn't want anything to do with it. That's a, the, I, I, I like my, my paraphrasing better. So hmm, t- deal with it. Uh, after this, the box kind of like bounced around for a little while. Like first, you know, he, he gave it to his sister, but she brought it back after a week saying that the doors on the box kept opening on their own. Man, if only you know, Kevin had had dozens and dozens of warnings that this thing was haunted by some evil shit, you know? I mean, man, 
Jeez. <laughs> uh, next, he gave it to his brother, who returned it after only three days, saying that he thought it, that it, it carried a really strong jasmine smell, while his wife thought it smelled like, well, cat piss. <laughs> um, maybe this thing was haunted by, like, that park bathroom ghost from the Devil's Tree episode. You know, it's just a thought, you know? Fucking, he probably wouldn't smell too good. I'm like... <laughs> Uh, anyway, next he, he gave it to his girlfriend, who only kept it for two days before insisting that he sell the damn thing. That same day, Kevin did exactly that. He sold it to a, quote, nice middle-aged couple. Like, <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh so much. It's just such a, uh, just a, a, a just blase description. I don't know. It, it, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, three days later, uh, later, old Kevo found the box sitting on the steps outside of his shop's front door with a letter that said, this has a bad darkness. So what does uh, Captain Oblivious do there? Well, he takes it to his house. I mean, if only there had been some kind of a, a warning or a sign that the box contained a, a really bad darkness. You know, <laughs> fucking idiot. So after our genius took the box to his house, he, he started having these recurring nightmares. Now, this is his telling of the nightmare, so... Yeah, uh, man, buckle up, people. This guy, uh, yeah, he's uh, he, he's something else. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right, he begins. Excuse me. Every time I have the horrible dream, it goes something like this. I find myself walking with a friend, usually someone I know well and trust at some point in the dream. I find myself looking into the eyes of the person that I'm with. It is then that I realize that there's something different, something evil looking back at me. At that point in my dream, the person I'm with changes into what can only be described as the most gruesome, demonic-looking hag that I've ever seen. All right, all right, guys, I gotta get this off my chest. Like, I friggin' hate it when people say that. Like, can only be described as like, shit. For some reason, it irritates me. You know, it's like the only way I can describe it. You know, like, come on. Like, I guarantee you, there's there's more literate and like articulate people out there that could come up with way better description than you. You know. Anyway, rant over. Back to our uh, riveting nightmare here. Uh, so he goes on. This hag proceeds then to beat the living tar out of me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the living tar. Like, wow. <laughs> like, you don't hear that all that, that, that much anymore. <laughs> uh, I have awakened numerous times to find bruises and marks on myself where I had been hit by the old woman during the previous night. Still, I never related the nightmares to the cabinet, nor do I think that I ever would have. Like, oh, my fucking God. This guy has to be the dumbest, most oblivious fucking person in the galaxy. I swear. What the fuck? Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> after finding out that everyone else that had possession of the box had experienced the exact same nightmare, uh, Captain Awesome there, put the, he put the box up for sale on, on eBay. After some time and several conversations with people, the, the box sold for 140 bucks. Uh, seem, seems like a pretty good deal. I mean, I would have thought that the going rate for a demon was a little higher than 140 bucks, but hey, <laughs> you know, why not, right? Anyway, uh, Yosef Nitsky, a student at Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri, uh, he, he bought the box for 140 fucking dollars. Like, such a, a steal for a demon. I mean, really, though, if you think about it, you know. Uh, Nitsky shared a house with six other students, and the group thought, you know, they, they were pretty convinced that the whole story was just some overblown fiction drummed up so that Manus could get a high price for the box. Everyone in the house agreed to spend at least one night with the box beside their bed. Just to kind of see what would happen, you know. Uh, it, it sounds like a great idea to me. I mean, fuck. If I'm buying a demon for 140 bucks, I at least want to fucking get some action. You know what I'm saying? Huh? Yeah. You guys know what's up. <laughs> uh, 
Oh man, you know how in like horror movies, the people always make the dumbest fucking decisions, and, and, and like they purposefully like put themselves in harm's way, and then all of us watching are basically screaming at the screen screen about how fucking ignorant they are. Yeah, I mean that's this guy's story right here. You know, uh, that's all of these guys' story. It's, uh, I guess, truth really is dumber than fiction sometimes. You know. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing that Yosef did was to keep a blog of all of their experiences with the box. Uh, now, unfortunately, like, I mean, I have searched and searched, but I've only been able to find a couple of the, uh, the actual posts from that blog. I, I don't know if he removed it or it was flagged or I don't know what happened to it, but the uh, first post begins Sunday, 31st of August, 2003. Over the last week, some interesting, though possibly coincidental items of note have come up. Firstly, I share a house with six other people. We have been taking turns sleeping with the box in each of our rooms. Two people are now complaining of burning eyes. One is listless and depleted of energy, and another became spontaneously sick. A few days after these ongoing annoyances started, the air outside our house was filled with small bugs for several hours. Weird summer stuff? No, dipshit. It's the fucking devil himself, and he's come to fuck your shit up. Like, what the fuck? Ah, I I don't know. Uh, Anyway. So he goes on, uh, last night we discovered that the box, now located in the back corner of the house, had come mostly open, though it had been shut, and it seems unlikely that anyone could or would have touched it. Uh, the only other post that I could find, it, it reads as follows. Uh, Wednesday, 10th of September, 2003. Though it seems impossible to prove that the box is a direct cause of misfortune, we have definitely seen a tidal wave of bad luck. Strange odors now permeate the house. Yeah, I'm guessing cat piss. Uh, the, <laughs> the dumpster out back overflows with trash and decay. One roommate suddenly got bronchitis, and then I broke a finger. Several mice have died in the engine of one of our cars, and more electronic devices seem to be dying every day. Xbox, toaster, TV, and watches. Like, <laughs> okay, most of that sounds like it very well could have nothing to do with, you know, a possessed demonic box, but who knows, you know? Uh, I mean, the broken finger, that to me was, that was like, okay, get the fuck out of here, like... I don't know. But again, just my opinion. Uh, Yosef went on to say that uh, they were constantly having to replace burned out light bulbs and that a few of those in the house, they started having their fucking eyes bleed as well as two of them losing their hair. Like, fuck that box. Uh, at, at least so at, at this point, uh, Yosef went ahead and put the, backs, uh, the box back on eBay for sale. Like, you know, like at least he's got a little bit of fucking sense. Like he wanted to play with it a little bit, found out his real deal shit and said, fuck it. I'm out. You know, so. Good for you, Yosef. Uh, it didn't take long before uh, uh, Jason Haxton, curator of the medical museum located at Truman State University, bought the bro- box from Nitsky. Uh, one kind of crazy detail I found while doing the research for this story was like from a magazine called the Riverfront Times. The article claims that they, they couldn't reach any of the roommates originally mentioned in, in the blog's actual post. I guess they were able to see it uh, back when they wrote the uh, article there. Uh, but when they reached out to Yosef's parents, they said that, quote, he doesn't want to speak to you and he does not live here. And they hung up on him and then never took any more calls from him. So, yeah, that's kind of a little little weird. Um, I, I don't think it really proves anything, but, you know, a little, little odd. Uh, Haxton claims that the trouble started for him the instant that he touched the box. He said that as soon as he put his hands on the wood, it felt as though someone was stabbing him in the stomach. It, you know, it was probably a fucking demon poking him with this little evil wiener. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I keep telling you guys that I have the sense of humor of a 12-year-old. <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, uh, that night, Haxton started having terrible nightmares of an old woman with sunken in black eyes. 
Well, that sounds a little fucking familiar. Uh, shortly after receiving the box, his health started to de- uh, deteriorate. He started having random choking attacks. Welts and hives started appearing all over his body for no reason. Uh, a strange acrid taste uh, started coming up in his mouth. And uh, at one point, he even uh, he went to a, an eye doctor, and he was diagnosed with what his optometrist called a, quote, spontaneous eye event that left large dry patches on his fucking eyeballs. Uh, giving his eyes like a deep red bloodshot color. Like, what the fuck? Uh-uh. Get the fuck out of here. <sighs> Haxton said that he had the wood tested to see if there were any harmful chemicals on it that might cause like any of these side effects. But all the tests came back negative. So I guess that was out. Uh, during the same period, Jason Haxton's son, Ross, began noticing pockets of aromas in the house. You know, so, sometimes he would he would smell jasmine while other times, here we go, cat piss. Uh, you know, again, fuck that. I don't understand how people could be so fucking naive. I just, I don't get it. Get the fuck out. Uh, anyway, Ross also started seeing shadow people out of the corner of his eyes. Like, uh, again, hell fucking no. These fuckers. Uh, we've talked about these fuckers. Nope. No, thank you. I'm out. Uh, uh, they also started having different issues around the home itself. Like, you know, the heater shot shit on them. Uh, lights were constantly burning out no matter how new the bulb was. At one point, Jason and Ross were, were visiting uh, Jason's in-laws, and they started telling him about, about the box when the dome-shaped light fixture fell off the ceiling, crashing into the table, smashing the cups and plates that they had laid out for lunch. Um, could, could, it could be a coincidence, I guess. You know, I mean, but who knows? You know, you bring it up, and the demon's like, <laughs> take that. No lunch for you, bitch. <laughs> uh, after several months uh, of illness after illness and misfortune after misfortune, Jason Haxton finally admitted that there was definitely something wrong with the box. All right. Wow. What, what a smart guy. Only took his fucking life completely falling apart and his eyes bleeding for this jackass to say, oh, gee, maybe there's something evil attached to this here box. Huh. I wonder if that's why they call it a Dybbuk box, because the Dybbuk's uh, evil spirit in Jewish folklore. Hmm. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Oh, boy. Now there, there are some people that have come out, uh, as uh, kind of telling a different side to the whole background of this box. Um, you know, uh, w- one of these, it comes from, uh, one of Haxton's, uh, coworkers, a man named Michael Callahan. Uh, Callahan was the main person that urged Haxton, Haxton to buy the box in the first place. Uh, he, he also works for the university, but he, he's also a, a magician on, on, on the side. Yeah. So, uh, he, <laughs> he considers himself an atheist and a skeptic and has called out Haxton saying that the, the whole story's bullshit. Uh, you know, yeah, you, you gotta love a, a little side magician there, you know? I mean, why not, right? <laughs> he claims that, uh, Callahan claims that he actually kept the box in his house for a week and experienced absolutely dick. Nothing. No smells. No illness. No shadows. Nothing. You know, uh, uh, funny enough though, uh, one of the people that make Callahan's account more believable, uh, believable is actually Haxton himself. He's he's claimed that he went to Portland to meet with our special little Kevin Manis. Uh, when he met with him, uh, our, our Captain Oblivious tried to take him to the home where the estate sale had been, but conveniently enough, he couldn't remember where the place was. He also he gave Haxton the name of the 103-year-old Jewish woman that had originally owned the box. Uh, her name was Havela Jewiski. Uh, <laughs> sounds... So it sounds a little made up. I don't know. Uh, of course, after some research, not only could Haxton not find an obituary for someone with that name, he couldn't even find an obit for any anybody dying at 103 years old in Portland, Oregon during 2001. So, you know, that's that's a little, you know, a little suspicious to me. 
uh, a, a little more digging, and Haxton was able to locate and talk to Kevo's siblings. Both his sister and his brother, along with his brother's wife, denied any knowledge of a shared nightmare. Uh, the more he dug, the more damning dirt he found on our oblivious little dipshit. Uh, it, <laughs> I know I'm being awful mean to this guy, but if he just made all this shit up, you know, like, I don't know, it just seems like a scam to me. But anyway, uh, it, it turns out that Kevo had worked for a bar in Beaverton called Club Underground as a kind of you know jack of all trades, you know, uh, security guard, promotions manager, toilet unclogger. Uh, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. oh, this guy's so dense. I- I'm sure he was super awesome as a security guard. You know, like, <laughs> he was probably the kind of guy that would literally let several sets of three kids standing on each other's shoulders in a trench coat and without like any issue, like, oh, your ID's good, buddy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Some little rascal shit. I don't know. <laughs> uh, according to some of his old coworkers, uh, he had been trying to sell all kinds of shit on eBay. And he had told them that he was going to come up with a scary ass backstory to help draw more attention to some of his items to kind of try to make some extra cash. Uh, these discrepancies go on and on. Like uh, one for, uh, one of the former cooks at Club Underground said, says that one day before work, in order to save money, he had Kevin use some clippers to cut his hair. Afterwards, just dicking around, he dropped a lock, of, a lock of his hair into the tip jar, which Kevin quickly fished out, saying he was going to use it for one of his stories. And is that some of the hair in the box? Could be. I don't know. Uh, one reason that all of these people might have for calling bullshit on the whole story could be the fact that uh, Kevin Manis and Jason Haxton were both paid a shitload of money for the rights to their stories. In 2010, both men were approached by representatives from Ghost House Pictures. You know, in, in my head, you know, it's like it was like these men in like men in black type motherfuckers, you know, the black suits, the hat, you know, the glasses, you know, and uh, they're carrying like a briefcase full of cash, you know, <laughs> like, instead of like the, the mind eraser. It's just cash, you know, like we want to buy your story <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, sometime after negotiations, the company had the rights to make a movie called The Possession, which if you haven't seen it yet, spoiler alert, everybody dies. Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it, it was really actually a good movie, though. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, check it out. You guys, I think you guys would like it. Uh, uh, eventually, Jason, I'm a fucking genius Haxton, reached out to some local Wiccan, Wiccan priestess. Wow, Wiccan. What the fuck is that? <laughs> like, makes him Wiccan and vegan for some weird reason. Uh, uh, following their guidelines, he tried to exercise the box. Damn, he should have called that priest that exercised the devil's tree. See, that guy would have been like, you know, the power of Christ compels you. Well, he would have taken care of some fucking business. You know, <laughs> I mean, if you could exercise a tree, why not a box? Come on. You know, they're, they're like cousins, right? Uh, <laughs> when that didn't work, he contacted a local rabbi to see what he recommended. Uh, the rabbi told Haxton that he should build a sort of ark out of the acacia wood, out of acacia wood. He was told to make the ark slightly bigger than the actual Dybbuk box and to also line the outside in gold leaf. Uh, what is it about religion that it requires a lot of money? Like, what the fuck does God need money for? I'm just curious. Like, it's always like gold, tithe your money, give us your money. Uh, I don't know why I went, even, even went that direction. How weird. Uh, anyway, uh, after he built the box, he was told to line every surface inside with mirrors. Uh, I, I'm guessing that the demon was maybe a little insecure with his, with his looks, you know, and they were trying to shame it. Like, no, oh, no, I don't want to see myself. Hmm. <laughs> I'm ugly. I have zits. <laughs> uh, after that, he was to place the Dybbuk box inside of the Ark and then place holy objects on top of the Dybbuk box inside the Ark uh, before sealing it up. Uh, good old genius Jason there. Uh, he did just that. 
He put a blessed rosary in there, uh, some Torah scrolls, and a 500-year-old book of Kabbalah writings. <laughs> that one seems like overkill to me. Like I, I wonder how hard he had to look for that 500-year-old book. You know, or maybe the sayings were 500 year old and it was like a new pressing from Amazon or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, now that he had secured whatever was inside of the wine box, he hid it in an unspecified location to make sure that no one else would ever fall victim to the darkness inside. Uh, whether you believe the accounts or not, I mean, that's completely up to you. I know that I, I've seen several documentaries uh, covering this thing, and it, it's always an entertaining watch. You know, even if even if it is just a made up bullshit story, it, it, it's some damn good entertainment. You know, you know, was, was our oblivious buddy Kevin full of shit and just like tr really just trying to make a few extra bucks? Yeah, maybe. Was Jason, I'm a genius Haxton, just trying to follow suit, knowing that he could write books to make some cash and not only make the cash, but also build a reputation and a name for himself? Yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, the one thing that I do know for sure is that the only wine box I'll be dealing with is going to be those shitty ones from 7-Eleven. Remember, an open mind leads to endless possibilities. Join us next time for another piece of weird candy.